started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow, um, but I'm here with you uh, from now until 10 o'clock. And you can call me at 508-996-0500. We had a great show last night. We ended it by talking to Congressman Bill Keating uh, about, um, you know, the response, the Martha's Vineyard response uh, to Ron DeSantis's uh, political stunt and uh, his optimism for immigration reform. We're going to keep the mo- that momentum going. Uh, you know, we've had all the statewide candidates uh, on here during the primary season, and we're having them back for the general. Uh, you remember the auditor's race? We interviewed all three candidates, one of whom uh, emerged uh, victorious in the Democratic primary, and that's uh, Senator from Methuen, Dinah DiZaglio, who's with us now. Hi, Senator. Hey, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me on here tonight. I really appreciate the opportunity to say hey to everybody again. Yeah, Ed, I, I appreciate you coming on. So, um, Senator, you, you've been on a few times now, um, but uh, repetition is always good for your message. So if you want to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us why uh, you're running for state auditor. Yeah, sure. So, again, my name is Diana DeZoglio. I am a state senator running to be your next state auditor to ensure working families like ours have access to uh, our state leaders and state agencies, regardless of our family background, bank balance, or where we live in the Commonwealth. Uh, I've been representing uh, Gateway cities, uh, similar to to your region, uh, working alongside of my colleagues in the state legislature, such as Senator Pacheco, Senator Montigny, Senator Rodericks, Representative Tony Cabral, Representative Hendricks, others uh, as well, uh, to make sure that our communities have robust funding and that there is accountability up on Beacon Hill to make sure that working families have the resources that they need. I'm proud to have been endorsed by numerous city councilors um, in the area, in New Bedford especially, such as uh, City Council President Ian Abreu, um, and, uh, you know, have that relationship where I have been learning and able to, you know, understand some of the challenges that are happening locally to make sure that we are uplifting the voices uh, of, of those working families who deserve to know how our tax dollars are being spent. Uh, but because Massachusetts is ranked by almost every good government group as the least transparent and least accessible state government in the entire nation, we have a lot of work to do on that front. So I'm running to make sure that we are, you know, uh, getting rid of the waste, the fraud, and the abuse across our state government by analyzing the uh, state agencies and state programs to make sure they're working efficiently and effectively and those tax dollars that we work so hard for are not being wasted and abused. So um, I actually want to talk about, because you mentioned Gateway Cities, how you you know, you know represent Gateway Cities in the Senate and when you're in the State House. I'm going to talk about the way that you won the primary, which I thought was really impressive because you sort of broke the code. I mean, I saw an election mapper uh, put, uh, put this out on um, on Twitter. You sort of broke the code on how to win without Boston and the Boston suburbs. You won 90% of all municipalities, including obviously down here in New Bedford, everywhere but Boston and the Boston suburbs. That 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 strategy's been tried before and it's failed. How were you able to make that successful? Honestly, I think just getting out and spending time with everyday workers. Um, 
I come from Methuen. I come from Lawrence. You know, I grew up, I was born to a 17-year-old single mom. We moved around a lot. Uh, grew up housing insecure. Graduated from public schools. Went to community college. Got scholarships to be the first in my family to graduate. You know, you learn to be scrappy, Marcus. <laughs> you learn to work hard. You learn to be tough. And, you know, you also learn how to talk to people and to connect with people. I waitressed and I cleaned houses to pay my way through college. And, you know, a lot of folks will say to me, well, wow, you went to... Wellesley College, and you got a great education, and that's what makes you such a great senator. And yes, I mean, look, my education is certainly something that has helped to make sure that, you know, I've been able to be effective. But I have to tell you, a lot of my experience came from waitressing and cleaning people's houses and getting to understand, you know, uh, how to be of service and what service actually means. And I have worked hard to be a servant leader through the years. And what that means is, you know, you don't just show up to give a speech. You don't just show up to uh, inform people of what your plans are. You show up to listen. You show up to have those roundtable discussions, and you show up to have the tough conversations. You know, I mean, uh, you know, certainly across the board, we have a lot of supporters, Democrats, Republicans, unenrolled voters, you know, independents. We have a lot of folks that, um, you know, are sitting at, at our table, which is a big table um, of supporters, in this race and it's because we're talking about things that everyday workers care about we're talking about the importance of making sure that we have affordable education affordable health care housing that is affordable we're in the middle of a housing crisis right now where you know our elderly uh, our senior citizens are being priced out of the communities they grew up in because of the exorbitant costs of living right now and you know property taxes that that are rising through no fault of their own for these seniors on a fixed income, for example, and let me tell you something, the auditor can play a tremendously helpful role in helping everyday folks in our communities who are, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. For example, we can audit to make sure that the state is fulfilling its end of the bargain in reimbursing our cities and towns for state-owned land that the cities and towns otherwise would have been able to collect residential or commercial property taxes on the state is actually supposed to be reimbursing cities and towns uh fully for the missing revenue that those cities and towns are are not getting oh, wow. so that they can pay for so they can pay for their fire and police schools um you know local education systems roads and bridges councils on aging we just mentioned those senior centers and what's happening actually is the auditor the current one actually identified the fact that the state has been shortchanging our cities and towns on their reimbursement, which guess what happens when that happens? That means that your cities and towns are shortchanged, so guess what happens? Your property taxes go up right? because they don't have enough money to be able to fulfill the mandates that the state is putting on them. And, uh, you know, it ends up being passed on to the average taxpaying resident. That's unacceptable. You know, the state needs to fulfill its end of the bargain and meet its commitments so that the burden is not placed on the worker. And, you know, on the person who's living on on a fixed income and just trying to, you know, live with a standard of dignity in the community they work in or the community they grew up in. So you're saying this specific audit that you're talking about can actually, because this is a local conversation that's been had, I'm sure, everywhere. But New Bedford in particular has extraordinarily high property taxes as opposed to Fairhaven just over the bridge. You're saying that this audit could help at least um, slow the rise of their property taxes? So for sure, the state auditor can play a tremendous role in helping in that regard and in other regards as you're able to, in the state auditor's office, really delve into these state agencies and find out as well through the Department of Local Mandates 
um, if there are potential unfunded mandates that are being passed on to your municipality where, and I'll just explain this just in, you know, regular terms here because it is a little bit sort of, you know, legalese <laughs> up at the state house, but uh, an unfunded mandate is exactly what it says. It's a mandate that is not funded. It's unfunded by the state. And that's a burden that's placed on these cities. Now, you know this, Marcus, from being in service at the local level. If you get unfunded mandates on the school system, right. now you have to figure out, even though it might be a really well-intentioned proposal, right? You might sit there and say, all day long, you support making sure that you have certain things available in the school system. And even though you 100% support it and you support the state you know, taking initiative and showing leadership and you know, passing some of these important initiatives, you also want to make sure that the state's going to fund what they're passing into law because, you know, you might be strapped for cash during that particular year, depending on what you're voting on, what your budget is, what the income is at the city level. And, you know, especially in Gateway cities, especially in places like New Bedford, you know, we need to make sure that the state is upholding its end of the bargain to make sure that all children in the Commonwealth, regardless of where they live, have a great opportunity for a great education, right? So the state just needs to make sure that they're fulfilling their end of the bargain and that we are not, you know, placing these undue burdens, these unfunded mandates on local municipalities, thereby creating a situation where the school department is forced to try to figure out how to pay for, you know, the, the resources that they need just to be able to do the bare minimum for their job. Uh, and make sure that these kids have access. So it's about access, about, it's about opportunity. It's about making sure that these kids have a fair shake and a quality education. And it's also about making sure that the taxpayers are not facing, you know, unnecessary additional burdens that are, you know, not their burdens to carry. We're speaking with uh, State Senator Dinah DiZaglio, who's the Democratic nominee for State Auditor. So, um, Senator DiZaglio, you've uh, talked about auditing the legislator. Your last opponent said, um, "Well, we'll see if it's you know, uh, I'll if I if I win, we'll see if it's something we can do." Your current opponent says it's not delineated in the law. I know you have a legal reasoning for it. The state legislature is absolutely going to fight it when you try to do it. So, are you? Have you, what steps have you taken to prepare for the legal battle that's ultimately going to go to the SJC, I think, to, to audit this, the, audit the, uh, the state legislature? Yeah, uh, legislature. yeah. I mean, I mean, look, this is a very simple conversation. You know, I understand that folks running for higher office don't want to pick a fight with the legislature. You know, I get it. The legislature votes on the auditor's budget, right. and it doesn't make you the most popular person on Beacon Hill. So I understand why my opponent would shy away from wanting to audit the legislature and be public about that. I understand. I have a different circumstance where, you know, look, I have been an independent voice in the legislature for 10 years. I have gone toe-to-toe with my own Democratic leadership team, okay? And I have done so with the support of many of my colleagues in your region there who also care about transparency, accountability, and equity. And, you know, that takes um, a certain uh, level of stamina and willpower to be able to stand up and speak truth to power to some of the most powerful politicians in Massachusetts. Now, I have the most independent voting record in the state Senate. That's a record that I've held for years. I'm very proud of that independent voice that I have been. That's something I'm going to take with me to the state auditor's office where I will continue to not be afraid to take on the establishment, whether it's a Republican or Democratic establishment that is, you know, that needs to be challenged during that time concerning what is right. Now, the law is very clear. 
There's nothing in the law that prevents the state auditor from auditing the legislature. The judiciary gets audited. Every state agency is able to be audited. But for some reason, the legislature has gotten a pass on being audited for many years. But you know what, Marcus? It was actually audited when I looked back in the books. It used to get audited in the early 1900s down to the last purchase of the last cigar. Okay? So that's how much it used to get audited back then. And then for some strange reason through the years, you know, we can imagine politics may have been involved. You know, all of a sudden, these things started getting less and less. And the legislature was audited, but the audits were less. They were fewer and far between and less about the legislature was getting audited until eventually they just stopped happening. But there is nothing in the law that prohibits the auditor from auditing the legislature. And it is, in my opinion, a mandate of the next auditor to do everything in her power to make sure that this entire branch of government that includes the most powerful politicians in Massachusetts and the way they spend our money, the way they spend our tax dollars, that they are held accountable to the same level that every other state agency is held accountable. The legislature should not get a pass on accountability and shouldn't get a pass on, you know, us understanding and knowing how our tax dollars are being spent in that branch of government. We know through the fact that I actually exposed the fact that NDAs were being used, we know that non-disclosure agreements are being used or are able to be used still in our own legislature. When I got up about five or six years ago, I stood up and I exposed the fact that non-disclosure agreements were being used to cover up sexual harassment. And in my case, I had known that because when I was a younger woman in my 20s, many, many years ago, we don't need to talk about my age, Marcus, (laughs) it's okay. But many, many years ago, when I was a younger woman in my 20s, I was sexually harassed in the House of Representatives. And a speaker at that time required that I sign a taxpayer-funded non-disclosure agreement uh, that was actually meant to silence me about anything I'd seen, witnessed, or experienced behind those closed doors up on Beacon Hill. To think that there have been 33, at least 33, other non-disclosure agreements given out to folks in our own House of Representatives using your tax dollars to cover up misdeeds by powerful politicians, to think that that is even a possibility is extremely concerning to me, and it should concern all of us. That is a gross abuse of our taxpayer dollars. The legislature should not be above the law. Powerful politicians should not be able to abuse our tax dollars to hide their misdeeds through the use of non-disclosure agreements. And this has been something that I've been taking on for years now. Again, going toe-to-toe, not just with a Republican administration as a Democrat, but with my own Democratic leadership team taking them on on this issue, challenging them on transparency and accountability, and speaking truth to power. So, yes, I am the only candidate in this race who has committed to conducting those audits and who has committed to making sure that if those audits are refused, I have committed to taking the legislature to court, something that my opponent has also not committed to do. Yeah, I actually was probably a couple of weeks ago watching, uh, it was on YouTube, the, the video of you on the, on the floor in Beacon Hill when you were, when you were a rep, uh, calling out Speaker Bob DeLeo, I think by name, actually. Um, so we're speaking with, uh, Senator Dinah DeZaglio, uh, who's the Democratic nominee for, for state auditor. So, um, you, so recently it was, uh, 
um, I guess, finally approved that we're going to get this 62F uh, refund. And you've been calling for the legislature to resume session right away uh, to get tax relief passed. Um, do, you, do you think that's, um, that's plausible? Do you think that that will, if you were to resume session, that that would get the money to um, people sooner? Yes, I do. Uh, absolutely. First of all, I don't think that we should have even taken, we should have been able to even take a break. Uh, until this bill was finished. We have a job to do. We are, you know, responsible for uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars that was included in that economic relief package. For those dollars to come back to our communities to assist our cities and towns, our schools, our our city councils, um, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, complete projects that are very important to communities. I know in my area, I have a local youth center project. Uh, The kids in, in, in my hometown of Methuen, uh, we don't have a formal youth center for them. And this is something that I've been beating the drum on for the last 20 plus years, actually, uh, since I was a kid, since I was a teenager. I remember, you know, talking back when I was a teenager about the fact that we didn't have really much for youth services and that that's why I felt like a lot of my friends were more likely to, um, you know, potentially get into trouble because, we didn't really have anything to do after school. So what did kids do? They found a way to have fun on their own without supervision. And, you know, one thing leads to the next and then, you know, some problems can occur. So I've been advocating for youth services and, uh, you know, after school programs and uh, after school homework help and leadership courses and jobs training and all these different opportunities through the creation of a youth and community center. Now that funding is tied up in that economic relief package that has been tied up since the end of session where the legislature broke for vacation instead of continuing on until we got the job done. I find that to be unacceptable. We are the Massachusetts state legislature. Families are struggling. They need economic relief. There are tax rebates included in that economic relief package of $250 per individual. Folks are struggling to pay the high cost of gas right now. Inflation is through the roof. And, you know, families have expressed that they're struggling for the legislature to go on vacation for a month, you know, and to allow this to just sort of, you know, uh, be, be stalled, not sort of be stalled, but to allow this to be stalled in the meantime, that's unacceptable. So I have been for quite some time now since, you know, the legislature decided it was going to be on break instead of working. I have been calling on the legislature to come back into session to finish the job, to get this done, to call us back in to make sure that we can resume voting again so we can get that economic relief package back out to not just the cities and towns who need the funding for their projects that they're, they've been waiting on, but also to make sure that that tax relief can get out to folks who are struggling right now and who need that relief and they need it now. We're speaking with uh, State Senator Diana DeSaglio from Thuin, uh, Democratic candidate for state auditor. So I want to pivot uh, back to your campaign. You have a Republican opponent now, uh, Anthony Amori. What are some of the differences between you and Mr. Amori? Yeah, so I actually, there are five candidates in this race, and thank you for raising that. Um, oh, we're going to talk about that after, because I... I, yeah, I sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can talk about it now. So, um, you know, certainly people focus on the two, you know, majority parties or whatever you'll call it, uh, where, you know, it's Democrat, Republican. But I just want to point out there are five candidates in this race, and I am looking forward to, you know, discussions, forums, debates, um, with all the candidates, hopefully at some point soon. If you want to invite us all on the show, Marcus, I'll be happy to join. Um, you know, pass along the contact information that I have, as I have been in communication with all of the candidates. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that's great. I think it makes our democracy stronger. It strengthens our democracy and gives folks, folks an opportunity to participate in the process and to hear all different viewpoints. So, so Senator, um, some people might say that you're trying to um, make your opponent look like he's one of the other third-party candidates that doesn't have a chance. I don't know who would be saying what, but I can assure you that uh, I have respect for all the candidates. That's why all the candidates I have been saying should be included in every single debate and every single forum. Uh, just like I would expect to be invited to every single debate and every single forum. But, I don't you're, think you're a major, be. but you're a major party candidate. You're a Democrat. You're a major party candidate. Realistically, people are mo- 90% of pe- 99% of people are going to be putting scribbling the bubble for you or or the or the Republican. Well, we'll see. I mean, I just saw some polls that said that I was significantly behind and we were successful on, you know, the Democratic primary night. And that was a surprise and a shock to many That's in true. our communities who had predicted that I was not going to at all have a chance. One poll actually had me about 14 points behind my Democratic primary opponent. So, you know, it's not over till it's over. It's over. And the only poll that matters is the poll that happens on Election Day. That's why we all work hard right through the election. Uh, But look, I'm not responsible for any other candidates' opinions, decisions, uh, you know, what they say or do. I am only responsible for myself. And what I can say is that I'm working hard, uh, not considering myself running against any one of the candidates that are in this race. I am running for the seat based on my voting record, based on my record of fighting for transparency, accountability, and equity up on Beacon Hill, and based on my record of achievement in actually standing up to the powers that be on behalf of regular workers who want a voice, who are tired of the shenanigans up on Beacon Hill, and who want bold and meaningful change. So I'm running on my record and on what I can bring to the table, not running against any one candidate, regardless of party affiliation. So, um... Uh, that's fair. Uh, Senator Dina DiZaglio, uh, we're speaking with Senator Dina DiZaglio, candidate for state auditor, auditor Dem- Democratic nominee for state auditor. So if I can get, if I can, if I invite the five candidates for state auditor to a debate here at WBSM in New Bedford, will you agree to that? Yes, I look forward to working alongside of my, uh, can- the other candidates uh, to arrange a date that works for all of us. Uh, I'm sure that with the ability to call in as well, that might make it a little bit easier. So I'll just suggest that in advance <laughs> okay? Uh, because it is a big state. And I want to make sure that if somebody can't make it, that they do have the ability to call in so that they can participate. So there's candidate equity. We hear a lot of talk about regional equity. You know, we need to make sure there's candidate equity as well, as long as all the candidates have an opportunity to try and participate. I think that's a great idea. I'm excited about the opportunity. Uh, Senator, I appreciate you coming on um, uh, the show. I appreciate your presence down here. Clearly, a lot of other people did based on the numbers uh, that you had down here and really throughout anywhere outside of of, uh, of greater Boston, really. I think um, impressive and hope. I think um, I think it, I was impressed and I'm also hopeful um, that there is a way to sort of uh, break the code in statewide elections and not have to rely on on. Uh, greater boston and and the boston suburbs um before i let you go senator um where can people go to learn more about your campaign yes so they can go to www.dianaforma.com that's d-i-a-n-a-f-o-r-m-a.com and there are opportunities on that website to read about my audit plan i have a full audit plan on the website uh that talks about some of the things that i plan to do my first days in office uh, you know, get started on at least. And then 
a couple of videos on there that you can take a look at and also um, my uh, list of what I've been working on for the last 10 years in the state legislature. So you can check out some of the work I've done as a state rep previously as a state senator. Uh, some of the things that we've been able to get done and pass important bills into law to help folks in our communities. Uh, and look, you know, I've been going line by line in that state budget for the last 10 years. I am really excited for the opportunity to hopefully serve as your next state auditor to make sure that those issues that I've been voting on uh, regarding our state tax dollars and the state budget, that our state agencies are actually being held accountable uh, regarding how those dollars are being spent. So looking forward to the opportunity, but I can't do it without your support. So I do respectfully ask for it. And Marcus, I am always so grateful for the opportunity to come on. I do wish it was in person the last couple of times. Yeah. It was in person, and I was super excited to see. I remember coming down for the feast and a couple of other yeah, things. Yeah, it was fun, yeah. Uh, it was a great night. It was a great night. We were out at the um, feast walking around with Rep. Tony Cabral. He was introducing us. Rep. Ian Aber was introducing us to folks and making sure that we, um, you know, we had some of the Madeira wine and, and right. all that stuff. So yeah. uh, good time for all. Um, but I will definitely be down soon, and I appreciate the opportunity to phone in tonight, and uh, I'll see you soon in studio. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for calling in. Yeah, looking forward to, to having you in studio. And uh, congrats on your, your primary victory. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Once again, Diana DiZoglio. Just remember the Italian woman from the one. Right. <laughs> I'll talk to you all soon. Have a good evening, Senator. That was Senator Diana DiZoglio. She is the Democratic nominee for state auditor. Um, and uh, again, yeah, I really was impressed by the, the, the way that again the way that she won because uh, typically the vote share in in Greater Boston. I keep talking about this because we're down here in New Bedford and in the Gateway cities. You you're just not as the 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 value of your votes just isn't as high as the Boston suburbs because there's just so many Boston, the Boston suburbs, but she was able to, to break that code. And I thought that was really impressive, but that was uh, state Senator Dinah DiZoglio five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get on the program. Uh, this is South coast tonight. I'm Marcus. Uh, Chris will be back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we've got a good uh, guest lineup to the rest of the week. I'm going to have actually on uh, Thursday, um, Jake Ventura is going to free Dartmouth people just to preview what's coming in the next week or couple weeks, really. Uh, Jake Ventura is coming in uh, from, he's a Dartmouth High graduate, um, a member of the um, uh, Wampanoag tribe at Aquinnah Gayhead. That he, he was, he was a, a big part of the Defend Dartmouth um Initiative, you know the uh, the ballot question that was basically voting to keep the the Indian um, the uh, the Indian logo and name at Dartmouth High School, and he's going to come on from nine to ten on um uh, Thursday. He's going to come in from nine to ten on Thursday because on Friday they're doing a uh, at the Dartmouth High football game at halftime. They're doing a uh, plaque. They're doing a reveal uh, of a plaque, um, both at is at Dartmouth High later uh, that night and at the um, the field house earlier in the day. Uh, tribute to um, you know indigenous people that had lived uh, in the Dartmouth area. So I thought that was I thought that was nice. He's going to come on talk about defend Dartmouth and the the plaque and all of that. And we'll, we'll take your calls on that too at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. So. Um, 
And we'll have council post game that week as well. Uh, we'll, we'll have council post game because this is, there's a full city council meeting. So one of the councilors will call in and talk about what happened, what, what's what's happening in, in, in your city council. So uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can get uh, on the program. Just a, a couple of things that we've got ahead of us, too, is uh, next – not next week. No, well, next week we have – so next week um, – Senator DeZaglio's opponent, Anthony Amore, uh, he's going to, the Republican opponent, Anthony Amore, he's going to be calling in uh, at 8 o'clock. Before then, we're going to have uh, State Senator and Chairman of the Senate uh, Ways and Means Committee uh, from Westport, Mike Rodericks. So he writes the budget, right? So he's up there with Senate leadership. Um, I wanted to get, you know, I I know Mike. I went to high school with his uh, son and daughter. He went to high school with my dad, um, but I wanted to get Mike on. He said, absolutely. Uh, you know, after session ended, I talked to him, you know, back in July when all this, all these crazy, this crazy legislation was going on. And, uh, you know, they passed all these comprehensive bills and one of them didn't get passed and all of that. But he said, after session, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll set a time and I'll come in. So he's going to come in and talk uh, about, you know, I'm going to ask him about a few things. You know, we're going to talk about, obviously, about tax relief uh, and a few other things, but, um, it'll be a fun policy discussion, and I'm looking forward to to, to speaking with him. Um, yeah, eight o'clock. Then Anthony Amore. Um, October fifth, we have the sheriff. So we got the sheriff. And speaking of debates, and I will look into the the possibility of doing a auditor debate. Uh, it's a matter of logistics, really. Um, doing it is a matter of logistics. So. Um, but uh, we have both sheriff candidates on uh, each. So this is how we're doing it. We're having two each come in separately for a separate interview from seven to nine. Now we did seven and nine. You know, we usually give candidates an hour. We're giving the sheriff candidate Paul Haru and uh, on the Dem- the Democratic challenger Paul Haru, the Attleboro mayor um, and former state rep. Against Sher- and, and Sheriff Hodgson, they're each going to get a seven to nine time slot in October, and it's because I know you guys are really into interested in this race because every time we have, you know, one of them on, or uh, one of them on, there's just a lot of call volume, right? And there's just a lot to talk about in this race. There's so much to talk about. It's so important. It's a six year term. It's a six year term for six years. We're picking who is running the entire correctional system at the county level here in Bristol County. That's big. So last last time Sheriff Hodgson didn't have an opponent, time before that, 12 years ago now, uh, he went up against uh, John Quinn, who's, uh, you know, D.A. Tom Quinn's brother, but he's a state, he's a state rep. Uh, it was a fairly close election, fairly close election. But... This time, it's Attleboro Mayor and uh, state rep, uh, former state rep, Paul Haru, who won the Democratic primary, I think, fairly easily. Um, and uh, obviously, Tom Hodgson, long-time, and long-time incumbent sheriff, Tom Hodgson. I enjoy, I've had them, obviously, both on a few times. I enjoy having them on. It's, they're good discussion. And we know you guys like it, too, because, you know, you guys always call in. And we appreciate that. And I'm taking your calls uh, throughout the throughout the, the show at 
0500. You know, we'll touch on them, the the Keating conversation last night and, you know, Martha's Vineyard and all of that. Uh, we'll touch on some other things, but I wanted to preview some of the, the, um, the stuff we have. So we have them each coming in in separate interviews, but on Wednesday, October 19th, 2022, we're going to have the debate. And to my knowledge, it's the only debate between Sheriff Tom Hodgson and his challenger, Attleboro Mayor Paul Haru. The only debate, it's going to be 7 to 9. It's going to follow this. We had the Democratic primary debate, and that was, I mean, that was a, that was a hit. That was a, that was a, that was a huge hit because we had the, they had the, they had the nice, you know, they had the nice conversation. I let them have the nice conversation. Um, that's not going to happen this time. I'm sure of it. But then we had, I, I mean, I couldn't get through the calls fast enough. Everybody wanted to call in and ask the candidates a question. So there's a lot of interest in this race. I know there's a lot of interest in this race. And if you follow local politics, you know, it's, I think the biggest local race around. It's the most important one. It's, you know, everybody in the county picking who gets to be who gets to run the entire correctional system? It's a big job. You know, the Ash Street Jail is on the ballot, right? So a lot of things are on the ballot for that, just for that race. So they're going to come in from 7 to 9. We're going to Chris and I are going to ask them questions from the 7 to 8 hour. And then from 8 to 9, we're taking your calls. And I know last time there was a ton of call volume. You were all very interested in calling in. And... I think a lot of you asked some good questions. So I'm really excited for that. That's October 19th, Wednesday, October 19th. We'll keep saying it throughout the show. I'm sure the station will do some promotional stuff. It's a big deal. I know they're excited for it. I know the candidates are excited for it. I know that they like it. They like the debates. You can tell. They're good at it, right? They're good at it. So... But before then, we're going to have them in for separate interviews. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, again, this race is it's it's huge. It's huge. It's the biggest race. It's it's the the biggest race in in the in southeastern Massachusetts right now. Well, I shouldn't say southeastern Massachusetts. I should say just in the south coast. You've got the Plymouth County DA's race uh, too, which we're going to cover a little bit more. I think both of those races though are important because I think they both represent similar types of warring philosophies right you have you know democratic challengers i think very serious democratic challengers who have experience in the area of they both have experience i mean her was a corrections manager uh um Rasan hall was challenging longtime incumbent tim cruz was a prosecutor um so who have experience in those areas um and want to implement uh some more you know, progressive change in the local, you know, justice system. And then you have, you know, longtime conservative incumbents, uh, conservative incumbents um, that everybody seems to like very well, seem to do very well uh, electorally, um, but definitely represents a philosophy uh, that most people, most Democrats um, in a, in a democratic state uh, don't uh, necessarily I don't think necessarily um, agree with, but they, st- you know, they managed to get their message out there, managed to resonate with their voters. 
Um, so those in, those races are really interesting, and we'll find out ways to feature them more. All right, I'm going to take this break. I'll be right back. New Bedford's News Talk Station. Tonight, uh, I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. Uh, open phone lines from 8 to 10. Give me a call at 508-996-0500. You can also message me in the app chat. I do want to talk a bit um, uh, more about the Martha's Vineyard situation because uh, there's just a lot to talk about. Um, I think there's, there's um, just so much. I, I, this one incident, I think, has so many layers. I think it's uh, still pretty interesting conversation and still in the national spotlight. So, um, we're going to take a break. I'll be right back. Um, I'm going to, we'll talk about some of the uh, vineyard stuff the next hour. Take your calls on, you know, whatever you want. Open phone lines for the rest of the show. 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on. All right. We got to take a break and we will, uh, well, not wait. It's just me tonight. Well, it's you and me, right? So we'll be back. Uh, after the uh, the news break, there's still, I think, a lot to talk about with the Martha's Vineyard situation. I've got some other stuff uh, going on over here I'd like to talk about as well. And whatever you want to talk about at 508-996-0500. Also taking your messages on the app chat too. So I will see you on the other side of the 8 o'clock hour.